This morning, we celebrate Epiphany Sunday. Now, Epiphany is something that we use in everyday language, meaning maybe a sudden uh, insight, an illuminating discovery, maybe even the appearance of a divine being. Now, it's actually January 6th that is Epiphany, and thus we have the 12 days of Christmas from December 25th through January 6th. And it's interesting that Epiphany was actually the very first celebration that the early church had. They started it in the second century, not short, shortly after Jesus' death. And it's a celebration of the Gentiles coming to see the king. Even our Orthodox brothers and sisters continue to celebrate Epiphany, much more so. And that's when they exchange gifts than Christmas, which many of us exchange our gifts then. So we have this morning a passage from Matthew chapter 2 that tells about the three kings of Orient. Orient is a, a word that basically means east. So listen to the word of God. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, this is a passage that's kind of bookended. We have the Magi on the one hand and we have Herod on the other. The Magi are from the east. They're from an area that's known as Persia. Today it would be Iran, Iraq, kind of way over there. And Israel is over here. And they are going actually west rather than east. But they're following the star. They're leaving their own country, the familiar, the usual, the known. Think about for you, what would it be like to leave your area, the area that you know? And they're searching and desiring something new and maybe even unknown. They don't know where the journey will take them. Excuse me. Only that they need to take the journey. At the other end is Herod. He's the bookend of fear. He was frightened 
Matthew tells us that all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. You see, he's threatened by the possibility of a new king. His power and identity are at risk of being lost. So we have these two figures here at the beginning. Now Herod was called the Herod the Great because he kept the peace. He even rebuilt the temple. He was generous sometimes. But on the other hand, he was generally paranoid. He killed rivals, whether they were real or imaginations. He killed his sons. He killed those whom he thought would threaten his rule. But the Magi, can you imagine the gumption of the Magi coming before King Herod with word of a coming king, the word that had spread beyond Jerusalem? Now, how would the Magi have known about the coming king? Back in the Old Testament, if you remember, Daniel was taken into slavery and went to Babylon. He actually studied under similar people, wise people, Magi. And later Daniel, in the book of Daniel, will predict the coming of a king who's going to swallow up every single um, other kingdom in the world. It's likely that these Magi remember Daniel's words, but they were students of the prophets. One of the things they did was spent their time studying the prophets, studying predictions. And they're interested in the coming of the son of David. So where do you find the son of David? Obviously the city of David. So they come to look for him. Now they're not the only ones who are looking because the Jews also are looking for a redeemer. They're looking for a new king. Even the Romans know about these prophecies and they're expecting the coming ruler. And so then the star rises. Now a star usually a very, very bright one in the ancient world was seen as the birth, marking the birth of somebody important. When Alexander Great was born, there was a great star. When Julius Caesar was born, there was a great star. And so when they see the great star, they are thinking, this is the coming ruler. Now, the translation that we read said the star in the east. Other translations leave out the east part. They just say the star arose. In 1614, Johannes Kepler actually did a bunch of calculations and came up with the conclusion that Saturn and Jupiter are coming together in conjunction in 7 BC. Herod the Great ruled from when his father died until 4 BC. So this would be about three years before he actually died. So the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn actually probably happened And it was a star that was seen by a lot of people. But it is the star that leads these magi to come. And when they come, they ask, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? Now Herod is very disturbed by this. You see, Herod was half Arab and half Edomite. Now Edom is a a country just below Israel in the ancient world. And he rules simply at Rome's pleasure. Originally his father had gained power because he supported Julius Caesar. And so in 47 BC he was made the procurator of Israel or the governor of Israel. And he and his family will rule for about a century and a half all told. And so he calls the chief priests and the experts in Jewish law because he needs help. 
He was not raised in the Jewish faith. He perhaps had not even realized that there was this prophecy. And so he asks them to explain some of the intricacies of their faith. He asks, where is the Christ to be born? Now it's interesting, it uses the word Christ. That is the Greek word, the Hebrew word is Messiah. So it's more than just where is this new king to be born. It's rather where is the savior, the one who has been predicted for years and years, probably 700 years. Where is he to be born? And the chief priests and the teachers of the law reply in Bethlehem. You see, Herod is firmly planted in the wisdom of this world. He's rather shallow. He values money and relationships and power and pomp and prestige. He wants influence. He wants to keep his power. For Herod, you don't start your campaign in a stable. You start it in a temple. And so he's very worried because he hasn't heard any of this. Nowhere in Jerusalem has this baby been born. But five miles south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem had a certain cachet, a certain prominence because it was the birthplace of David. King David back in the Old Testament who was probably the best and the most renowned king that Israel had. And it's interesting, Matthew changes Micah's prediction. He emphasizes Jesus' Judean heritage here. Instead of saying one of the little clans of of Judah, he changes it instead to by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. You see, at first Micah just said, hey, there's this clan that's going to produce this person. And Matthew changes it to, no, there is someone who has come to be the ruler of rulers, the king of kings, the lord of lords. The ruler, in fact, will come from a small, insignificant town called Bethlehem. And as a consequence of Jesus' birth, it will no longer be an insignificant town. Even we today sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Bethlehem is important, and Herod is concerned about it. So he wants to know the exact time. He wants to be able to track down this baby. Herod wanted to kill the infant who is posing a danger to his throne. He can't send his troops because if he did, it might alert the Bethlehem folks and allow the family to escape. So instead, Herod involves the unsuspecting Magi in his treachery, and he calls them secretly and finds out the exact time. So then he says, go and search. So they head off. Quite possibly they were started in the right direction anyway from from the description that the rulers of um, and the chief priests and teachers had told them it's, it's down there it's, it's in Bethlehem and they rejoiced that the star appeared to them you see they go to Bethlehem but the priests don't go the teachers of the law don't go the shepherds and the angels do and the magi and they have no idea whether this star that they're following 
is visible to other folks as well as the Magi. Now, probably it was. I mean, if you've ever looked in the sky, you can see the stars, and perhaps you see one or two that are especially bright. Perhaps you even know some of the constellations. I I doubt there are many of us who could actually name the names of the stars, but perhaps there are some of us. This is what the Magi could do. They could name the stars. They knew what was happening. But the regular people saw the star, and it was no big deal to them. But the star that they're following comes to rest on the place where the child was. Now, stars usually don't stop their orbits. They keep, you know, going around, and depending on what they are, depends on what their orbit is. But it's not a natural phenomenon for the star to stop. But rather, it is a sign from God here that they can be overjoyed. These Gentiles are overjoyed versus the fear of Herod in Jerusalem. The people who should have been ready to receive Christ with great joy instead are afraid. They're afraid of what might happen. Well, the Magi continue on and they find Jesus in the house. Now, a number of scholars think there might have been as much as two years elapsing between the birth of Jesus and when they arrive. He was probably a toddler at this point, and this is probably a house that Joseph took up residence in with his little family while they remained in Bethlehem. So when we have the Christmas pageant and we have the kings come, it really is a little bit of putting things together because there's actually a two-year separation between when Jesus is born and when the Magi come. But they come to worship him. Now, here it says they bowed down and worshipped him. The Greek word is proskunio, which means that ordinary people, they pay homage to the king. It's a word that is used to bow down and worship somebody who is great, somebody who is you know, um, has a lot of power, somebody who is recognized by all sorts of people. And yet here, the Magi bow down and worship someone who is a little toddler. Toddlers are wonderful people, but you wouldn't think of them as absolute rulers. You certainly wouldn't think of them as God with us, Jesus Emmanuel, but in fact, that is what they do because they are anticipating the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. The worship of the Magi is implying that God's redemption goes far beyond the Jewish people right from the start. Now those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as Christians, we know that God has included us in his family. And here... God is including the Magi. They are representing at the beginning that the Jews and the Gentiles are redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so they offer him presents, gold. Our text says incense. Other texts say frankincense and myrrh. Now, gold might seem odd for a baby, 
I have a niece who just had a child. There was a baby shower. We had things like a diaper bag and clothes and toys. Uh, We certainly didn't have gold or frankincense and certainly not myrrh. But this is what is given by the Magi to Jesus because they speak of the future of Jesus. The gold is a gift for a king. It's a gift that can be given and is especially valuable. And kings are usually gifted with gold. Now, frankincense or incense is used in the temple, in the temple worship. And the priests usually put it on the burning altar because it creates a wonderful smell. And so it's a gift fit for the priest. And then there's myrrh. Myrrh is used as an anointing oil and it's also used in preparing bodies for burial. Nicodemus later on in the Gospels will actually bring a mixture of aloe and myrrh to prepare Jesus' body for burial. So here we have a king and a priest and someone who is going to be buried and rise again in their gifts. Now these are not only expensive gifts, they're also very portable. Frankincense doesn't weigh a lot. Myrrh doesn't weigh a lot. Gold, you know, you you have some of it, but it doesn't take up a lot of room. And so it's very portable because as we read on in Matthew, Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus escaped to Egypt. It's nice to have something to take with you when you escape. And so here God is providing that for them. Now our final verse talks about a dream. Now Magi would have been very attentive to the dreams that they had. I've often been told I should write down my dreams and sometimes I do. And dreams can be very much of a guidance and here the Magi are guided by their dream. And they're told don't use the expected route. Uh, Pick an alternative route. Bypass Herod and his minions. Go around Jerusalem. Don't go back to him. And like every other human, the Magi are faced with the opportunity to heed or to ignore God's message. But they listened and they returned to their country without speaking to Herod. You see, because try as he might, Herod the Great cannot derail God's plans for the salvation of the world. So what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be part of the Magi? You see, the wisdom of the world looks at this birth story and just scoffs. Jesus wasn't born in a wealthy family. His parents were pretty poor. He wasn't born in the temple. He wasn't wrapped in kingly garments. But he is the one that is worshipped. He's worshipped by the Magi. He's worshipped by the angels. He's worshipped by the shepherds. Because the passage here calls us to recognize that there are temptations present in our lives. And we need to be cognizant of who and what will lead us astray from the path which leads to Christ. So at the end of this Christmas season, let's take a step back and reflect on what each of us can do to grow closer to God in the coming year. And the question is, what do you need to do in order to follow his path for you? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the example of the Magi. We thank you for their willingness to risk 
all that they knew and take a journey that they felt compelled on. We ask God that you would give us that same courage, that same willingness to follow you. We ask God that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds that we might know the path you would have us follow in the coming year. And we ask now that you would bless us and keep us in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.